Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this corporate time of worship. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. God, you are a good, good Father. And Lord, help each and every one of us to trust you with all of our hearts, to love you with all of our hearts, to obey you with all of our hearts. Lord, let us see the value of your gospel this morning and the call to discipleship and the call to live for you, God. Lord, we love you and praise you for it's in the mighty, wonderful, victorious, eternal, all-powerful, omnipotent name, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. If you agree with that prayer, please say amen. 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 You may have a seat. What happened? There's a string in front of me. <laughs> no, um, our children are dismissed to children's church. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Andy will bring you a Bible. Sunday mornings we go verse by verse through the New Testament, Old Wednesday nights through the Old Testament. Looks like everybody's got a Bible. Watch your head, Maurice. All right. Okay. All righty. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And let's start off with reading scripture together. You don't have to repeat after me, but just listen to it. Um, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The title of my message this morning is, Who Do You Say That I Am? Who Do You Say That I Am? You know, my job as a pastor is to minister to you guys, to minister God's grace, God's truth, God's love, God's mercy, and just to, I want to pour into you guys the word of God, and I like to minister to people, but the absolute most important thing I can do as a pastor for each of you guys is to prepare you for eternity. That is the absolute most important ministry of, of any Christian, any pastor. And just to give you an illustration, this string going across the room, go with me for a minute. It, it, it could be a lot longer, but this is as wide as our room is. It's 60 feet. I can't go any further. But let's say this string represents eternity. This little piece of tape right here represents your life. This piece of tape right here, it represents a long life. Man, this is, this is you live to be 100, okay? So this is our life right here. This is 100 years, and this string is eternity. This string is eternity. The most important ministry for any church, any Christian, any evangelist, any pastor is to get people saved, to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can find forgiveness of sin, so that they can find new life in Christ, so that at the end of this little life, see, you, you, were, 
you were born right there, you got married right there, you had three kids, you turned 80 right there, and then right here at age 100, you passed away. And then there's eternity. The only thing with eternity is it goes beyond this dream. It goes infinity. It goes forever. So the most important ministry in my heart at Calvary Chapel Irmo is to prepare you for eternity and then watch you grow in the grace and the truth of God. That's my heart. That's my passion. I hope you join our church. I hope you come regularly. I hope you come to get into the word with us. But that's my heart. That's my passion as a pastor is to prepare people for eternity. Think about it for a minute. How long are you going to be gone for when you leave this life? Forever. There's nothing more important than a person's eternal salvation. And here's the cool thing. Uh, Salvation is a free gift. And it comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. It it doesn't come by church membership or or water baptism or or, um, the Lord's Supper or confirmation class. It comes by being born again and trusting in Jesus. Once you get this right, everything else in life just falls into place. And it's a beautiful, wonderful life. But we got to make sure we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So this week and next week, as we go through uh, Matthew chapter 16, that's going to kind of be the theme. That's going to be the focus, is getting our hearts geared towards eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are are eternal. So we want to open our eyes to eternity and look forward to spending eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth. So with that said, let's study Matthew chapter 16 verses 1 through 18. And by way of introduction, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. The world teaches he's just a good teacher. But here's the big question. This is big. Remember that little tiny life and you're preparing for eternity? This is a huge question. You will not answer a greater question in this life. And that is, who is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? This is the absolute greatest, most important question you will ever ask. It will determine that little tiny life that you live here on this earth, and it will determine where you spend eternity. We can't afford to get it wrong. So with that said, Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and testing him and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. I find this interesting, just this opening verse right here. You know, nobody could take Jesus down. Nobody could discredit him. Notice who comes to him in this verse. Not just the Pharisees, but also the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, if you know anything about them, they were two religious groups but they were not in unity. The Pharisees focused on legalism and and, and adhering to God's law found in the Pentateuch. The Sadducees, on the hand, they were kind of like, they were liberal theologians. They denied the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. They denied uh, the, the resurrection from the dead. So these guys did not get along. They were not in unity. But yet, what are they doing in this verse? They are coming together, and they are coming together for one purpose, And that is to come against the Lord Jesus Christ. They joined forces. They joined forces. They put aside their differences. They said, man, we're going to stop this Jesus. We're we're going to discredit him. We're going to show him that he's wrong. 
So here you have the religion, the religion of the day coming against the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to test him. And they're going to say, they ask that he would show them a sign from heaven. That's what everybody asked for today. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But look at verse 2. After, after they ask him for a sign from heaven, verse 1, he says in verse 2, He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky. But here it is, guys. Here's what I want you to see. The last six words of verse 3. You cannot discern the signs of the times. So what was it that the Pharisees and the Sadducees could not discern in this passage. He, say, he gives them an illustration of the weather. You see the sky is going to look clear, so it's going to be clear. You, know, they, uh, you can predict the weather based on what the clouds are doing above. But what was it that they could not discern in this passage? They could not discern that the logos, the incarnate word, God was standing before them, and they did not perceive this. They were blind. Why were they blind? Because they were walking in pride and ignorance. And may I add, stupidity. People today say, if I could only see Jesus, or if he could just perform a miracle, then I'll believe. Not true. I don't believe that's true. They'll find another excuse to not believe. You see, we live in a world that is apathetic towards God. Not all, not all people, but many are lazy. Many are lazy in their spiritual disciplines, and they fail to discern the signs of the times. And unfortunately, sometimes it's even in the church. You know, I, I've been guilty of it before. I don't know if you have or not, but taking my eyes off the Lord and fixing my eyes on this life and being just so enraptured with the things of this world that I forget about God. But sometimes we are fixated on this life. We are fixated on our pleasures. We are fixated on our secret sins, not realizing that eternity is, we're, we're at the very brink. We're at the very edge of e before we step into eternity. At any day now, any day, the rapture of the church could take place. It's not waiting on anything. The scripture teaches the rapture of the church where Christ returns is imminent. It is imminent. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. It could happen before I finish this message, or it might be a long time from now. But the scripture says that it is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready how do you, how, you say, Pastor David, how can I be ready? Well, first off, make sure you're saved. Make sure you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation. You've received him. You've been born again. And then just live your life for him. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in fellowship. Keep your faith strong in the Lord. Keep your faith strong in him. Be ready. Don't be scared. You know, live life. He's, he's, he's ordained our number of days. He's given us this life to live. I don't know about you, but I'm hoping for 100. I don't know if I'll get that far, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking big. 
But whatever amount of time he's given me, whether he's given me uh, 60 years or 100 years, I always want to live with an eternal perspective. And God calls us all to live with an eternal perspective. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, I, I opened up the sermon with this verse. Paul says, for while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to live life with our eyes wide open. And that would be our spiritual eyes. Our spiritual eyes. We need to live life spiritually awake. Loving the Lord, following the Lord, living our lives for him living to honor and please him. Life is so short. It's so microcosmic. And eternity is so long. I like what Billy Graham said. He said, when I pass away, he said, don't, don't, don't cry. He says, on that day, I'll be more alive on that day than I was in this life. Friends and family, eternity is more real than this life because God is eternal. He stepped out of eternity into time, created the heavens and the earth, and created all that is. Eternity is more real than this life, and we need, to be, we need to be aware of that fact. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. My prayer is that we are awake, is that you are awake, that I am awake, and that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, and everything that is within us. Awake means that your, your spiritual eyes are open to biblical truth. So our eyes need to be open to biblical truth. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit who's dwelling inside of you because you've been born again is he brings the word of God to life. He gives you a biblical worldview. So as you study the Bible and you get into the word, he gives you a biblical worldview, and he causes you to have spiritual eyes, to see the world as God sees the world. I see all you beautiful faces this morning, and I think, man, these are people created in the image of God. These are people that Jesus loves. These are people that Jesus wants to be uh, part of their life, be Lord of their life. And that's how I view you guys. And people that are, are hurt also, People that are broken, people that need ministry, people that we can love on and show the grace of God to in everyday life and in ministry. Let's look at verse four. Verse four, man, Jesus doesn't hold back. He, he, he puts his, Jesus right here in this next verse, this is what he does. Jesus just puts his finger on their problem. He just, it's like in his omniscience, he sees the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he says, this is what your problem is. Look at verse four. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So Jesus diagnosed and puts his finger on the Pharisees and the Sadducees' problem in verse 4. He says, there, uh, said, a wicked and adulterous generation, meaning they, they love their sin more than they love God. That word wicked, it means to love darkness to love darkness and to love sin more than we love God. And that word adulterous, which comes from the word adultery, it means to be unfaithful. 
It means to be unfaithful. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And what James is talking about there is when we live in compromise of sin. He's not, he's not talking about being friends with people in the world or enjoying the things of life, but he's talking about partaking of and approving of and living in habitual sin. He, so that he calls them a wicked and adulterous generation because they love darkness more than they love light. In verse 4, it says they, it says, uh, they seek after a sign. They, they wanted a sign. But think about this, family. Pull back and look at the whole verse. The ultimate sign was standing before their very eyes. The Lord Jesus Christ so many people say today, man, man, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just hear his voice, if I would just hear that audible voice of heaven, they saw Jesus. They heard that audible voice and look at their hearts. It, it speaks to the condition of the human heart. That, that it's broken. It's broken by sin. They were blind. And this is what sin does. It blinds us to spiritual truth. Sin is deceptive. So what do you and I do? What do, we, what do you and I do to win the battle? To fight the good fight? Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh or to fulfill its lust. You see, our propensity, we gravitate towards sin. You gravitate towards sin, I gravitate towards sin. Because that's our sinful, fallen nature. But what we have to do, Christian, is we have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to recommit our life. We have to resubmit our life and say, Lord Jesus, I put you on today. Live your life through me. Spend some time in the word. Spend some time in prayer. Connect with heaven and yield your life to him. And you won't find yourself in, in this situation. Let's look at verses 5. Actually, we'll look at verses 5 through 10. Um, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Uh-oh. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. So basically... They forgot their bread. They forgot their baloney. And Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them. Jesus is just not letting up in his ministry. Every single angle, they have a natural situation. And he takes a natural situation and he turns it into a supernatural situation. So here is their bread's missing. They don't have their lunch meat. So, they're gonna, so he's going to turn this into a teaching moment. Look at verse 8. But Jesus, being aware of it, just like I just said, said to them, Oh, ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? See, there was two feedings that had just taken place in the gospel. We studied one a couple of weeks ago and studied another one about a month ago. And they had witnessed the people had witnessed and word had gotten out that Jesus had provided for the multitudes. 
It was a demonstration that he is the bread of life. He is the one that sustains life. He is the one that provides for us in our everyday life. And we can trust God. We can trust God for his provision in our life. And Jesus is saying to his disciples in this moment, of, in this text that we're looking at, he's saying to them, you need to look to me. He says to, you, to, to them, and he says to you and I also, look to me. I will save you. Trust in me. I will provide for everything you need in life. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you have me, you have everything. If you don't have me, you have nothing. Christ is everything to us, Christian. He is everything. In, in the span, in, in the context of eternity, if you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everything. And then everything else that you get in life is an added blessing. But if you have Christ, you have everything. He is the one who gives us everything that we need in life. He is the one that takes care of us. There is, um, eternity is the big picture, but there's also this life. And in this life, he will provide for you and I a place to live, finances, our, our, our quality and well-being of life. He takes care of us for everything in life. But we have to trust him, and we have to believe his word that he will provide. That's very important. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning the bread, but to, here it is. Now he's going to go into his explanation, his, his segue he says, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, in most places in the Bible, when it talks about leaven, leaven is a picture of sin, okay? So let's look at the next verse. We're going to talk about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 12, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Boy, Jesus is just masterful. He is just, he has a way with words. What he does here in this verse is he transitions. He takes a natural situation and he transitions to the supernatural. He goes from talking about bread to talking about the spiritual dangers of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that is their leaven. So what is the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If you do a study on them, you will discover in their religion that the, the leaven of their religion was a religion without a surrender to God. That's what the, the leaven of the Sadducees and Pharisees is. It's religion without surrender to Christ. It's religion without obedience to the word of God. It's religion uh, without purity and holiness. You see, they, they pick and choose the parts of the Bible they like and reject others, as did the, the Sadducees. The Sadducees denied the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, and they also, we know from history, they denied the, the doctrine of the resurrection. Well, it's clearly in the Bible, Old and New Testament. And so they, they, they accepted these parts, but rejected these parts. 
And then the Pharisees, God bless those guys. They, they, they came into existence during the intertestamental period, during the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. And basically what the Pharisees did is they turned the, the, the religion into legalism. They turned a relationship, uh, they turned being into a right relationship with God was based on a strict observance of the law. That in order to be saved, salvation comes by just obey God's law. Be legalistic. And, and, but what does the Bible say about Abraham, about Abraham's salvation? The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Old Testament, many of us, it's one of my life verses. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Salvation has always come by trusting in God, by believing and trusting in God. And that belief and that trust in God is manifested in a life of obedience and loving him and following him. But that was not the case with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There was no transformation. Uh, it was worthless. And, and unfortunately, it's all around us today. A lot of people have religion, but they don't have Christ. Paul warns that this will be the state of the church in the last days. In the last days, there will be a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Let me read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5 through 5 says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here it is, guys, right here. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. So we are called to avoid godless religion. And we are called to be followers of Christ. Men and women that love Jesus. Men and women that place him first. Men and women that say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And when you do that, you're gonna have a. It's gonna be a. You're gonna have to live a blessed life, that little tiny life, but more importantly, you're setting yourself up for eternity with Him in heaven. That's what the gospel is. You know, Christianity. This is very important. I'm, I'm, I might slow down just for a, hair, for a second. I got it wrote down because I, I, I thought this was a very important point as we're studying this passage. And we're gonna. I'll, I'll just read it to you. Christianity is not about you. Uh, conforming Jesus to your life, okay? Look down, I don't, have the ver I don't have it on the slide, look in your Bibles, in this same chapter, we'll be there next week, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. In, in verse 24 and 25, it says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We do not conform Jesus to our life. Christianity is, is about you and I dying to our sinful desires and conforming our life to 
his word. So there is a crucible. There, there is a decision. There is a discipleship. There is a, um, a sanctification, as you would call it, of growing in our relationship with Christ, you know, and, and, and crucifying the desires of the flesh and committing ourselves to a life of discipleship and following Jesus. Not so that we can be saved, but because we are saved. And we want to let the Holy Spirit do his work in our life. That's what Christianity is about. Let's continue. Verse 13. Verse 13 in our verse-by-verse study. And when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, here's where it gets really good, family. Let's look at this closely. He says to his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And man, remember he put his, a while ago he put his finger on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he called them out for their wicked and adulterous hearts. Now look at what he does with the disciples, man. Now he turns and puts his finger on his disciples with this very poignant question. Verse 15, and he said to them, but, in other words, I know what these people are saying, but that's not important right now. Who do you say that I am? Is what Jesus is saying. Here Jesus puts his fingers, his finger on the disciples' heart, mind, and will. He makes it personal to them, is basically what he's doing, as he does with you and I. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that, I'm I'm asking you this morning. I'm I'm not talking about the disciples, I'm talking to you. Who do you say that Jesus is in your heart? Is he your Lord and God? Who do you say Jesus is with your words? And who do you say Jesus is with your life? That is the Christian life. That is the growing in grace, growing in love, growing in obedience. Again, it has nothing to do with legalism. It has nothing to do with trying to be saved by the way we live our lives. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. But out of that gift comes growth in our life. Or, you know, is it just a religious mental assent to truth in your mind? You know, we have to, we need to love the Lord our God with all, our, all of our mind, but we also need to love him with all of our heart. And we obey him with our mind. We obey him with our heart. We obey him with our life. Next week, when we get to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, I don't know how long I'm going to spend on those two verses. Those are the two of the most powerful verses in all the New Testament. And hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be there next Sunday. But who do you say Christ is? Please make sure you get that right. Please make sure you get that right. Remember the illustration? What you do in this life with that little tiny life will determine your eternity. It's very, very important. That, and, the, and the answer is that we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and God and Savior of our life. That we follow him with all of our heart. That is the heart of Christianity, is serving him. Look at verse 16. Still in this, I could just see Peter and Jesus looking eye to eye. 
And now you might think this is a, a high and holy moment for Peter. And you're going to be like, yes, Peter got it right. Wait till next week. <laughs> Wait till next week. Before you put Peter up on a pedestal, because he's going to nail it here. Next week, it's going to be, get behind me, Satan. But for the moment, let's rejoice in his victory. Because, you know, we have our ups and downs too. But let's, let's still look at this yay moment for Peter. He gets it right. Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is where it started for Peter. A confession, a belief, and a step of faith where he says, Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord. And one of, the, one of the beautiful things I love about studying the life of Peter in the gospel is it, it is a roller coaster. He has many successes and he has many failures. He has many uh, what I call foot in the mouth syndrome situations where he blows it. But here he does it beautifully. You know, this is where it starts for you and I today. If you're, if, for, for, for new believers, this is where it starts where you say, Lord, I believe and I confess that you are Lord. That's where it starts. And, and God takes that little mustard seed of faith in that new believer, and he causes it to grow. So wherever you're at on the spectrum, maybe you're a seasoned Christian, and you've been serving the Lord, and you've got this down pat. Well, God bless you, brother or sister. You keep on rocking on and living for Jesus. But maybe you're a new Christian, or maybe you're young in the faith. Let God grow that mustard seed of faith. And, but it starts, again, with your confession of Christ, your belief in Christ, and your, and your trust and, and love for him. Watch it and let him grow. You gotta water it now. You gotta water that mustard seed. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta feed it the word. You gotta spend time in prayer. But God will cause it to grow, and it's beautiful. Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So who ultimately made this revelation to Peter? God. God. The Father revealed to Peter through the Holy Spirit who Jesus is. Now I find this verse such a relief. I find, I, I find this such a relief in, in evangelism, you know, in witnessing and reaching out to people. You know, Christians, it's not our job to convert sinners. Do you know that? It's not our job to convert sinners. We cannot convert the heart. Only, all we can do is share the gospel. It is God's job. It is the Holy Spirit's uh, job to bring the revelation of who Jesus is. So we don't have to get all crafty and manipulative and, and get all twisted and convoluted in our gospel presentation, but we simply just share with people that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you can find complete forgiveness through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we just sow the seed. We just sow the seed. And God, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out on what we've shared and he causes the heart to turn to Christ. So that's very important that we understand that. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings 
conversion. Jesus said in John 16, verses 8 and 11, it says this. Listen to Jesus' words. And when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So right there, John chapter 16, verses 8 and 11, he says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, their deeds bring guilt that they've broken God's law, of righteousness, he, the, the Holy Spirit convicts the, the person that Jesus is who he says he is, and that Jesus is the only righteousness that, that God has to offer. It comes, righteousness comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third word, uh, verse 8, and of judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction and settles our hearts that one day we will stand before him in glory. Okay? So from the beginning to the end, it's always the Holy Spirit, as it was here with Peter. He says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Flesh and blood, you know, you and I, people, sharing, talking. But my Father who is in heaven. So it's the Spirit who, who reveals to people um, who Christ is and the truth of Christianity. Our only job is to, to be a faithful witness. So God takes the pressure off of us. God takes the pressure off of us. And he says, let me convert the heart. You just sow the seed. Verse 18, our final verse this morning. He says, and also, say, excuse me, Jesus is speaking, still a continuous sentence. You know, the verses are just broken up. But continuing that sentence, but my Father who is in heaven, and I also say to you, say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's interesting what church history has done with this verse. You know, they've they turned Peter into the Pope and they've led to thinking that this verse is an establishment, that the headquarters for the church is in Rome. But that's not what Peter is talking about here. Peter is, this, the text is talking about his confession of faith, his statement. He's saying that this is the foundation of the church and uh, this is the foundation of the church and your faith. And what is it? Back at verse 16, the foundation of the church and our faith is saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends and family, this is a stake that we die on, okay? This is a, this is a non-negotiable of, of our confession of who Christ is. The Lord Jesus Christ, um, he was not just a good teacher, even though he had some awesome teaching. He was not just a mere human being, even though he did live a human life. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of the living God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And guess what? He's coming back again. My question to you this morning is, who do you say Jesus is? Crack open your Bible. Get to know him. Get to love him. Learn all these wonderful biblical truths 
about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and all his glory. He is magnificent. He is awesome. He will blow your theological mind away when you take to heart everything the scripture says about him. And he can, he can do all that because Jesus Christ is God. He is the eternal God. He didn't come, in, he didn't come into existence at his birth. He came from heaven to earth and he wrapped himself in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. My question to you in closing this morning is do you have this foundation? Do you have this foundation? This is the greatest foundation you will have in this life. This is the greatest question that you will answer in this life, bar none. Who do you say that Jesus is? For the believer this morning, uh, Jesus says to you, stay the course. Stay the course. Keep the faith. Keep serving me. Keep holding to the truth. Keep holding to the word of God. But for the person who is not a Christian, Jesus says this, let's meet at the cross. Let's meet at the cross. Let me clean your heart up. Let me clean your life up. Let me come into your life. Let me be your Lord and Savior. Surrender your life to me. Not tell, it, it doesn't say go join a church or go give your money to someone. He says, meet me at the cross and I will change your heart. And God says, me, I, the, the Holy Spirit will give you this confession of faith. It starts, this foundation, this little mustard seed of faith, it starts with saying, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. It's called being born again that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. It's saying, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Come and live inside of me. Cause me to be born again. I put my trust in you. That's what it means to receive Christ. And then we repent. We repent. What is repent? Repent simply means you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and I turn away from the old life. I turn away from sin. I turn away from darkness. Not, not that you're perfect. Not that you're going to have it all com completely all together. You're going you're to blow it along the way, and God's going to show you grace, and he's going to sanctify you and cause you to grow. But we repent of our sins. We turn away from our sins. And then finally, receive, repent, you believe. You say, Lord, I believe you. That word believe, I like to use the word trust. You say, Lord, I no longer trust in myself. I no longer trust in my own goodness. I no longer trust in my own reasoning. I no longer trust in my own mind. But I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit is going to give you that firm foundation that, that, that's going to answer that question. Who do you say Jesus is? When somebody says to you who, do you, who do you say Jesus is? You can be like, let me give you a good answer. He is Lord. He is God. He is the one that has saved my soul and given me this wonderful life that one day I'm going to step out of and I'm going to get to spend eternity with him. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? If he is not your Lord and Savior, invite him to come into your life this morning and say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. I turn from my sin and I put my trust in you. It's a free gift he offers you. Amen? So who do we say Jesus is? He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Yay for Peter. He got it right. 
Keep that thought in mind as we dive into next week's passage, which I'm sure you'll go ahead and read ahead. But uh, his victory is short-lived. He sticks his foot in his mouth next week. But here's the cool thing. God is faithful. God sees him through from beginning to end. He's going to do it again. He's going to deny him. He's going to deny him before the crucifixion. Jesus is going to have to restore him on the beach. I love Peter's life. It's a roller coaster life. But throughout the life of his roller coaster existence, God is faithful. And God will be faithful to you and I, friends. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for this study in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 18. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll cause our hearts to grow. Cause us to grow in our love for you, in our devotion to you, and in our commitment to following you. Lord, as the illustration pointed out, help us to live with an eternal perspective. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. You're an awesome God. And your word says in Hebrews 13, 8, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, please seal this word in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we give it to you. And we ask you, God, to work in our hearts. We love you and we praise you. For it's in the mighty, wonderful, victorious, beautiful name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.